If you want to open up in Romans, uh, we're going to look at a couple things in Romans chapter 1 today. It's a rainy day, but it doesn't really feel like a gloomy day. Uh, it feels kind of peaceful and nice. And even though there are some people who aren't able to be with us because of traveling or maybe not feeling well, or maybe it is because of the rain that they weren't able to get out, it's good to be with the people that are here and just thankful that we can still do this. It's nice to not have to worry about being at Richard's place. I, that just seems like such a far distant memory where we were worried about what are we going to do if it rains? You know, are we going to be able to meet? Are our feet going to be wet? Um, and I remember there was one day where we even we changed our worship time because it was a bad storm. So we said we got a good window in the afternoon at, from two to four. So let's do it then. And you know, we we don't have to worry about that now because we have this place. So that's that's just great and it's it's wonderful to to be blessed in that way. So we're going to look at Romans 1, and what I want to do is I want to look at one specific phrase in Romans 1 in verse 23, and that's where Paul talks about people that had exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So what we're going to do is we're going to read Romans 1, beginning in verse 21. Romans 1, verse 21 through 25. Paul says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Before we talk about verse 23, let's back up real quick and just see verse 16. Who is Paul talking about? Because there's some people that knew God. There's people that claim to be wise. And there's, they're the same people that exchange the glory of God for other things. Well, verse 16, Paul said, excuse me, verse 18, not 16, says that the wrath of God is re revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Paul is talking about who the wrath of God is meant for. Who is it reserved for? Who will it be revealed against? But he actually first says it's against ungodliness and unrighteousness. I don't know if you've heard this, but some people think that God punishes just the sin. Like God hates the sin. And we say this sometimes, God hates the sin, not the sinner. And sometimes people take that to mean that also God's judgment and his wrath will not be on the people. It'll just be on the wickedness that is part of their life. But I don't think that's what he's saying in verse 18, because unless he personifies ungodliness and unrighteousness as a person, because he says, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then he says in verse 19, that what can be known about God is plain to them. So unless he's saying that unrighteousness, it's really coming down out there. Um, I don't, we're going to get shades eventually. I don't think shades take care of the sound. So we'll just have to deal with that. But unless he's saying that unrighteousness and ungodliness are people and he's personifying these deeds and these evil things as their unrighteousness, like a person or plain to them, then he's talking about the people that do these things. And that makes people feel uncomfortable because we don't like to think about the wrath of God coming upon anybody, especially those that we love and especially not us ourselves. But I think that's what Paul is saying here, that unrighteousness and ungodliness done by us will lead to the wrath of God. And the wrath of God will be revealed against because he is opposed to these things that we do that are wrong, these things that are against his very nature. 
So this kind of person that, has, that is doing this ungodliness and unrighteousness, they do know God because the things about God are plain to them because God has shown it to them in verse 19. And then verse 20, it seems like he's pointing mainly to creation to say that we all can know the eternal power and divine nature of God. Look at creation. So there's no excuse, he says in verse 20. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. So th this, is the, this is the type of person that, that does this. So they know God, but they don't regard him as God. So they do wickedness and unrighteousness and ungodliness in their life. And then verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Images that look like the creation rather than the creator. They actually lessen themselves and lessen the own, their own glory uh, just to be poured out on things that were created. I want to talk real quick about uh, a couple of the words, uh, the idea of being exchanged and then glory. So when we talk about being exchanged, and other translations just say they changed the glory of God, we're not saying that anybody can actually change God's glory. And we're not saying that there is a one-for-one -one comparison for the glory of God. But it's just in our life, we can exchange what should be devoted to God for to something else. So it's not like a transfer of power or something like that. where, But it's not transfer of power as in, this other being or this other object actually has that power and glory that is God's. But in our life, we transfer what should be devoted to God towards something else or somebody else. And this thing or this person that we're giving this glory and honor to is so much less than God that they're actually the creation of that God. So it doesn't make any sense, but that's what he's talking about when he says exchange in the glory of the immortal God. And when we talk about glory, glory is just majesty and adoration. It's dignity. It's honor. It also means to hold in high regard or a high opinion. So God should be the object of high opinion and adoration. He should be the one regarded as majestic and dignified as the only deity, but he isn't. These people have exchanged God for something else or someone else. So let's talk a little bit about this. I want to break this verse down, and there's going to be a couple things that are uh, bold and underlined, and I just realized that you can't really see the bold very well, but it's there on my slides at home at least, so you have to trust me. I'll point it out, though. So actually, if you look at the, these verses, there's the exchange, the glory of the immortal God, but then there's something else they exchange, because in verse 25, they exchange the truth about God for a lie. So they're just doing these transactions with the, the things that God has given them and God has shown them for things that are lesser. God, thank you for showing me your glory, and I'm just going to take the glory that I should give to you because I've seen your glory, and I'm just going to give it to something else. God, thank you for your truth that brings about salvation that I'm not ashamed of. But actually, now I'm going to twist that because that's not what's going to be true for me anymore. I'm going to make it into something else. So this thing that is perfect, this thing is wonderful that leads to salvation, the thing that is just so beautiful about God, people, and this is true of ourselves, can change that. Not that it changes who God is, but we change it for us. We, we make other things our God. We make other things true for us. So let's continue here. So the, let's talk about the fact that they knew God. 
So if you look back, I already pointed this out once, but in verse 20 at the end, it says that they are without excuse. And then in chapter 2 of Romans, verse 1, therefore you have no excuse. So these people that will be judged that are bringing the wrath of God upon themselves, they know God. Have you ever talked to somebody, or maybe you've thought this yourselves, where they don't want you to question anything about their life because, and the, and the result or the reason they give is, I know God, okay? Well, that's just kind of a terrible uh, reason to give. I might have to change our seating around a little bit. There's three? Okay. And then oh, they got four, so they got five. Yeah. Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Y'all come on in. Hey, how's it going? We got four chairs right there if y'all want that. Yeah. Watch out, that chair's kind of on top of that one, so. There you go. Do what? No, we're still in worship. So we're just going through, so we're in Romans 1 right now, just kind of going through the lesson. It's no problem, no problem at all. So we're in Romans 1, and uh, we've read 21 through 25, and we're just talking about uh, the, the different things that we see in these verses right now. So um, we're talking about exchanging the glory of God for lesser things. So, so these people that he's talking about in Romans 1, they know God, so they're without excuse. But then what do they do? Let's see all the things that they do. It says they don't honor him as God. They don't give thanks to him. They claim to be wise, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. So this might sound kind of silly, but how do you know God and then have this result where you don't honor him as God, you don't worship him, you don't give thanks to him, you claim to be wise yourself, and you actually still worship and honor something, but it's not God. It's an image. Well, if you think back to Exodus, and you think of Exodus in chapter 16 and following, actually it might have even been before that, but definitely starting in chapter 16, I believe, the glory of God is seen on the mountain, right, on Mount Sinai. And what was the people's response? Well, they're scared, and they say, God, Moses, we can't talk to God. We can't listen to this, so we're going to need you just to talk to him for us. So Moses goes on the mount, and the cloud and the fire is all there. The glory of God is on the mount. And then after Moses has been up there for some time, he was only up there 40 days, by the way. It wasn't that long. But in that time, they decide you know, we don't even know what happened to Moses. I mean, that guy's been gone too long. And if he's gone, then, I mean, I guess God's gone. But the cloud's right there. Like, there's no reason for them to think that God had left or his glory had left. So they take all their gold and all their precious things that, by the way, were only given to them because God allowed them to be granted those things from the Egyptians and other people because they were slaves in Egypt. They didn't have it themselves. So God had given them these great things, these gold and silver and all that. And they actually form, they give it to Aaron. And according to Aaron's account, he tosses them in the fire and poof, comes out this calf. And they worship the calf. And so Moses hears all this. God knows what's going on. Moses comes down. He sees what's happening. And they have taken the glory that was due God and put it into this gold image that was a calf. And they were worshiping and dancing and all these things. For them, that was the glory that was supposed to be due to God, but it was being transferred to this image. But the glory of God was there the whole time. It was, it was the cloud on the mountain. So that's what they did. And then there are other people who, in the days of Jesus even, in the days of Paul, 
we know that they were supposed to be worshiping God, but instead they were worshiping other gods. And we know that even before then, even when you see in the days of the kings and you see in the days of the judges, what were the people doing? They were changing the glory that was due God and they were exchanging it for lesser things. And lesser things caused for lesser forms of worship and it caused for lesser ways of living your life. They live their life in ungodly ways. Well, that, that's what we can do as well. We'll talk a little bit about how we can do that towards the end, but, but I just want us to understand that this is not new. People know God, but they don't honor him as God. They don't give thanks to him as God. They claim to be wise themselves, and they worship and serve, but not God. It's lesser things and lesser people. So that's what we can do as well. And, and really, the, the problem with what they do is that, and it's supposed to be bold, but you can't really see it, it's not that they aren't honoring or aren't giving thanks. It's not that they aren't worshiping. It's the, it's the direction that that honor is going. It's the, the focus of their worship. You see, they don't honor him as God. They don't give thanks to him. And then they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. They've exchanged something for God that is lesser. So when I was in Africa uh, last year and, you know, yeah, you worry about the exchange rate because, I mean, you – the dollar goes a long way, but everything is so expensive in my mind there. I mean, it's not, but not according to the dollar. But if you think of how much money you actually have to use to pay for something, you're like, wow, this meal was like, you know, 50 whatever uh, Tanzanian shillings, you know. And it was actually like 80, it was 80 shillings, but that, that's nothing for us. But imagine if someone said, you give me $1, let's just do a one-for-one trade-off. I'll give you one Tanzanian shilling for $1. That seems right. Well, no, that, that's not how that works. I would have said, no, thank you, and walked away. I would have been, I would have been gypped. I would have been like, no, that's terrible. That's not going to go anywhere. For, that's not going to do anything for me. And that's, that's what people do. That's what we do sometimes. It doesn't do anything for us, but somehow we convince ourselves that if I just devote all my attention and time to this other thing, out will come this wonderful blessing for me. Why else would people worship and serve creation? something they've created or something God has created rather than God himself. It has to be because they've convinced themselves that this thing will produce the blessing that is equivalent with what God can do for me. So what are those things for us? Maybe for some of us, it's sports. I bring that up a lot because that's the closest thing probably for me that it can be, if I'm being honest. It, I mean, it really can be that. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's just your own self-identity. Maybe it's a cause that you think is just so worth it, and it's going to be for the betterment of all people around you. We just need to be careful that we're not devoting time and honor and attention, pouring everything into something that is less than God, expecting to get the things that God has said he would give. That's idolatry. That's sorcery. That's witchcraft in the Old Testament. And it's cheapening the thing that God has said he would give. And really, it's cheapening God himself. Not that we lessen God's own glory, but in our lives, we lessen God. And then what is the impact of that? Well, think of how that spreads. If we lessen God's glory in our lives with how we live and how we treat others, the way we talk, things like that, the way we devote our time and attention to other things rather than God, is that not communicating to other people that, well, this person knows God, and look how they're spending their time, look how they're living their life. So glorifying God looks like what they're doing, and it's wrong. 
We've, we've lessened the glory of God, not just for ourselves, but we've lessened the glory of God for other people. If you remember one of the things that Jesus says when he talks about shining our lights in this world, what are we supposed to do? When, when people see us, they glorify God because of our good works. So they will glorify God. They will say, God, you are deserving of this glory. And I know that because I've seen the light from Christians. I've seen the light from those that know you. I've seen their works. So it matters how we live. It matters the things we do, not just because God judges us and the wrath of God is coming on ungodliness and unrighteousness, but also if we lessen God's glory and other people see that, don't you think that they're going to try to match that same level of glory to God? And we've lessened it for them. We've redirected it to something else or somebody else. So just a few points real quick. Knowing God is not enough. They knew God. Now, we might say, well, they didn't really know God. Well, it says they knew God. So Maybe they didn't know God like they should have, but it says they knew God. So knowing God isn't enough. We have a deep desire to give honor, thanks, and praise towards someone or something. We want to do that. It's just a matter of the focus of that honor and praise and thanks. The direction of our honor and worship determines how we live. If you give honor and glory to God, that changes how you live. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So then he goes on and saying, for this reason, God gave them up in verse 26 of Romans 1. Verse 28, and, they, and God gave them up. And what were they doing? Well, you go down to verse 32. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And all the things that he lists from verse 24 through 32 are some of the things that we would say, that's despicable, that's deplorable, it's disgusting. But there are some things we would say, well, they're not so bad. Gossips, it's not so bad. Slanderers, well, it depends on who you're slandering. Boastfuls, we all have a little pride. Disobedient to parents, well, if I'm not the parent, then it's not that bad. I think it's, you know, silly or I think it's shameful. Or I look bad at the parent. I don't think bad about the other person, the, the child. Ruthless, well, it depends on the situation, right? You see, we, we can make these excuses for some of these things, but then we get to other things and we say, no, 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 we know that's wrong. Being covetous, well, that's terrible. Lying and murdering, well, that's terrible. Homosexuality and other forms of sexual morality that he mentions here in this text, well, that's awful. And I just want us to understand that all of these things that he lists here are things that are produced when we change the direction of our honor and our glory and who we give thanks to. Because what really I think he's describing here is while it could be idols that someone serves that leads to all this, it also could be self-service. We serve and honor and glorify ourselves. We think that we know what's best. Because although we know God, we claim to be wise ourselves. And that dictates how we live. So this matters. The, the direction of the, of the glory that we give in our life matters. Let's talk a little bit, well, not there yet. Let's talk a little bit about just exchanging the glory of God in a couple of examples. I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 8. I know Ezekiel 8 is a little bit of a different 
text. Ezekiel is just a little bit of a different text, but it was part of a reading, uh, Bible reading plan recently. And actually there was a question about uh, Ezekiel 1 that uh, one of our members asked about. I want to read some in Ezekiel 8 and notice a few things here. In the sixth year, in the sixth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house with the elders of Judah sitting before me, the hand of the Lord God fell upon me there. Then I looked and behold, a form of that that had an appearance of a man. Below what appeared to be his waist was fire, and above his waist was something like the appearance of brightness, like gleaming metal. He put out the form of a hand and took me by a lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the gateway of the inner court that faces north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the valley. He sees the glory of God there. It's in Jerusalem. But then, let's see what God shows him. Verse 5, he said to me, son of man, lift up your eyes toward, now toward the north. So I lift my eyes toward the north, and behold, north of the altar gate and the entrance was the image of jealousy. And he said to me, son of man, do you see what they're doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel are committing here to drive me far from my sanctuary. But you will see greater abominations. This place where the glory of God is supposed to be, supposed to be promoted, supposed to be seen. He can see it, but then he also sees these other things. He sees these abominations that his own people are doing. So verse 7, he brings him to the entrance of the court. He looks and beholds that there was a hole in the wall. And he said to me, son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. And he said to me, go in and see the vile abomination that they're committing there. So I went in and saw, and there engraved on the wall all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the, of the elders of the house of Israel, with Jezana, the son of Shaphan, standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark, each in his room of pictures? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. He said also to me, You will see still greater abominations that they commit. So first he saw general abominations, and now he sees very specific abominations of idolatry and worshiping pictures and things like that. And this is among the, the religious leaders, the leaders of Israel. Then he brought me to the entrance of the north gate of the house of the Lord. And behold, there sat women weeping for a Tammuz. Then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? You will see still greater abominations than these. So the people are weeping, and they're, they're pouring everything out for this false God, for these false things. He brought me into the inner court of the house of the Lord, and behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces toward the east, worshiping the sun toward the east. Then he said to me, Have you seen this, O son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations that they commit here, that they should fill the land with violence and provoke me still to further anger? Behold, they put the branch to their nose. Therefore, I will act in wrath. My eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, I will not hear them. So when God looks down and he sees this, and he's showing this to Ezekiel, and he's showing him exactly what he sees, he sees all these abominations. He sees people that are supposed to be worshiping him, worshiping other things. 
He's these people that should be leading others to worship and honor him, worshiping and honoring other things in the privacy of their home, but also publicly. It's, it's just everywhere. And he says that his wrath is coming upon them. So what are the things that we can do like that? Well, there are some of us who we do things publicly that would be to the glory of God. And we're trying to lead and help each other to glorify God and honor him. But if I had a hole that was in my house that you could dig through and see what was going on in the privacy of my home, there might be some things that would be abominations, despicable things. There might be things that I would be doing or things I would be thinking. Like if you had a hole into my mind, in my heart, what would you see? You might see me honoring other things as God that are not God. You might see me doing things in my life that show that I'm serving myself rather than God. And I'm not just saying things that we all would be ashamed about. There's some things that the world would be proud to say that they do. But we shouldn't be proud to say we do that. And we try to hide it from our brethren because we know it's nothing to be proud of. God sees that. God knows. He knows if we've exchanged his glory for the glory of something else or the glory of self. So there's various forms of idolatry that it can take. It doesn't have to be an image. It doesn't have to be a picture on the wall. It could be just something in our heart. It could be something that we devote our time and attention to. It could be something that we try to hide from our brethren because we are ashamed of that, but we're proud of it, that we actually do it secretly. And actually, I was going to, we don't have time to go there, but I was going to go to Acts 12. And if you see what happens with Herod there, what happens is that the glory that was due God, Herod took for himself and he struck down because of his own pride and his own self-seeking nature. That's what God sees in our hearts. Those are the things that will lead to all these different sins, all these different forms of wickedness that we see in Romans 1. That's what's going to lead to the wrath of God. Sometimes we don't pursue knowing God more because the more we know, the more it's going to convict us. And then there's other of us who know God, but we kind of put aside morality because I know God. And that was a problem in, in Romans. And it's been a problem for mankind all the time. There's a disconnect between what we know and what we do. Sometimes the problem is what we know. We don't know enough. But here the problem is that they know God, but they're honoring other objects as if they were God. And they're committing all types of sin in their lives based on they think they're wise and they're serving themselves. When, when we are rationalizing our sin, we've lessened God's glory. We've taken the honor that is due him and given it to ourselves. We've claimed to be wise. We've claimed to be the one that can control what goes on in our own lives. And we, so we serve ourselves. So self-idolatry might be something that is not talked about as much as actual physical idolatry in the days of Jesus, in the days of Paul, but it's there. So here are just a few questions that I have for us today, and I'm not going to try to answer them necessarily. I just want to pose them to you and talk about them just for a few minutes. So how can we exchange the glory of God? I want you to think about that. How can you or how have you exchanged the glory of God? Has it been by pursuing knowledge of other things over knowing God? Well, that can cause you to glorify that thing that you know. Have you exchanged the glory of God? Because although you know God, 
you're devoting all your time and attention to other things. And people can see that in your life. Are you exchanging the glory of God because the way you live your life does not glorify God, even if it's in the privacy of your own home, but rather it glorifies yourself and it glorifies other things. It glorifies sensual desires. It glorifies pride. Have you overemphasized knowledge or morality at the expense of the other? We need to be careful that we don't swerve to the left or right with these two things. We don't want to overemphasize knowledge at the expense of morality and the character that God wants us to have. But we also don't want to think it's only about how I live and it doesn't matter what I know. There, there are other things in the Bible that we say this about, and I think it's pretty clear. Like in James, when we go to James, the book of James, we say, faith without works is dead. You can't only rely on faith. You can't only rely on works. You need to see faith and works come together. Or First uh, John talks about loving God. You can't say you love God and hate your brethren. You have to love God. You have to also love your brethren. If you don't love God, but you love your brethren, that's not what God wants to see. If you love your brethren, uh, excuse me, the other way, if you love God, but you don't love your brethren, and that's not good enough either. They have to come together and mesh. And I think that's the same with this. I think our knowledge of God and how we live and our morality, our character, have to come together. You can't overemphasize one over the other. And then the last one is just, has God's glory caused you to live differently? I want to go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. This will be the last text that, that we'll read today. Romans 6, beginning of verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's talking to Christians, and he asks this question, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, grace isn't really the, the point of our talk today, but can we continue in sin thinking that the things of God, like grace, may abound? Like God's glory, God's truth, God's grace, his mercy, God's love. I can still sin and promote these things of God. Certainly not. Certainly not. May it never be, is another translation. How can we who died to sin still live in it? I, I know that I died to sin, though. I know God, but I'm just not living like I died to sin. That's not, that's not how this works. There's an imbalance there. So at what point did you die to sin? Well, I think that's why it brings a baptism. All of us that have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. But by what power is sin totally diminished and totally killed off in our life? It's by the power of the glory of the Father, according to verse 4. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we are raised from the dead to walk a new life. So by what power is sin killed off in our life? At what time is sin killed off in our life? It's by the glory of the Father through us being baptized and unified with Christ in his death. And by what power can I live my life in a way that honors God and helps other people come to God? 
It's by the power of the glory of the Father that raised Jesus from the dead so we can also walk in newness of life. We are to be living as resurrected beings right now, people that are new, people that are changed, looking for and longing for the true resurrection when Christ comes back. But we're living in a new life right now, or we ought to be. And if we're not, then we've exchanged the glory of God for lesser things. So there's two things I just want to point out as we wrap up. The first is that if you have not been baptized and raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, then the way you try to live your life is as good as it might be and as good-hearted as you might be, you're missing something because you have not died to sin. And you dying to sin through baptism is not you taking ownership of something where you do it by your own power or it's by the power of the person that puts you into the water. It is by the power of the glo- and the glory of the Father. That's, that's the, the uh, source of all of this is the Father. So you need to do that. The second thing is you need to continue to pursue knowing God. Knowing God and understanding him is important. Although that I I mentioned in the first verse uh, that we were looking at that they knew God, yet they didn't honor him as God. Let's start with just knowing God. Like you need to know God more. And the more you know God and know about God and understand his character, it helps you to devote more glory to him in your life. And it changes how you live. So that's the third thing. The third thing is if you have died to sin and you have been made to walk a new life, the glory of the father then continue to do that and don't forget that and don't lose sight that it's not just about what you know it's about how you live as well and those two things should come together and when those two things come together this might sound like a lofty goal but really i think what we see is we see the perfection of god the way we saw with christ like if you think about the way jesus lived he knew god he honored him as god he lived in, in light of the honor and glory that was due God. And that's why he's our example. That's why he is our forerunner. So this whole lesson really is not just about um, idolatry necessarily, as much as it is just let's be more like Christ. Let's know God and let's live like we know God. And let's examine ourselves and just think and really, I guess, if you think about Ezekiel 8, I would encourage us to, to go through the process that God put Ezekiel through. And this might sound strange, but like dig a hole into your own life and try to open it up and see what God sees. What does God see in your heart? What does he see in your mind? What does he see with how you spend your time and what you're doing? Let's not rationalize sin. Let's not lean more on morality than we do the knowing God part. Let's make sure that we aren't exchanging the glory of God for lesser things, but rather we are devoting all honor and all glory to God like it's appropriate. So maybe you're sitting here and, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I have some things to think about. Well, that's good. So do I. And that's, that's what we're supposed to do is examining ourselves. But maybe you already know that. You've already examined and you know that you have some things that, you know what, they're not right and you need to do something about that. But we haven't talked about what to do, but I'll, I'll tell you just real quick that, um, It might be that you need to be baptized. It might be that you need to repent and be baptized. But it also might be that you've already done that. And so what you need to do is you need to confess your sins. That's something that we see very clear that Christians are supposed to do. We go to God and we confess our sins. And in that, are we not giving glory and honor to God, taking that to him? But another thing might be 
that you have some things that you need to confess to us. Not because we saw you, but because you want help in honoring God and giving glory to him. So you're going to put away pride, and you're going to put away your self-seeking nature and the honor you think you're due, and you're going to say, I'm just going to bear my heart and bear myself to these people of God, hoping that I'm just giving glory to God. This isn't like an appeal to try to like pull someone, come on, you know, give us something. You know, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that put aside all your honor and glory that you think you're due and give it to God. And if that means that you make something known to the group, then do that because we want to help. But if that means that you make some big changes in your life as well, then do that. And if it means that you go home and you start thinking about things and examining things and you say, I don't know what to do next. Well, that's when you pick up the phone and you text or you call one of us. And if it means that you need to give honor and glory to God by being baptized into Christ, well, then do that. However you need to respond to that, whether it's publicly or privately, just think on these things. And we'll sing a song of encouragement as we think about these things now as we stand and sing.